Greetings in Jesus' name, and I welcome each and every one of you to this portion of the service here today um, as we worship together. It is, a, it is a good day to be here. It's a good day to see each and every one of you come out, and I, my heart's cry and prayer is that we can look at God's Word, and uh, it can be a blessing to us. And we can learn from it. And I pray that uh, today as we look at God's Word, that we don't just uh, look at it as something of a history lesson or something that is a neat little story, but we actually ask God what He has for us today in what we look at. So that's my heart's, heart's cry as we, we look into what God has for us in the Scripture here today. This morning... I will be sharing out of Exodus, Exodus 3, and a very familiar passage. Um, I would like to look at the life of Moses, or part of the life of Moses. Uh, If I would take the whole life of Moses, we would be able to share lunch right here in the pews and maybe supper too, so I will not do that, but uh, I will see how far I get into the life of Moses. and we will go with that as, as time allows and the Spirit leads. First of all, Moses, I think many of us know the story, so I'm not going to take the time to in-depth uh, go into the story of Moses. But I would like us to, in Exodus 2, I'm going to just jog back a little bit before we get into Exodus 3 and uh, remind us of a few of the details in Moses' life. And uh, back in Exodus 1.22, Pharaoh commanded that every boy, uh, every son who is born, you shall cast in the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. This was due to the fact that uh, Pharaoh was kind of afraid of the Israelites. They had been in bondage for many years, and God had blessed them. They had became a great multitude of people. And he was fairly convinced that eventually they're going to take over his throne and his people, the Egyptians. And he had told the midwives to kill all the baby boys that were born. And I think we know that story too. The midwives said, well, the Hebrew women are uh, so active and they have the children before we get there and they know they're alive. We can't kill them. So that didn't work. And so he says, fine, you're going to destroy every single boy out of fear for his kingdom. So this is what Moses was born into. And uh, so, Exodus 2, we're introduced to the birth of Moses at a time where Hebrew babies were not safe, if I can put it very plain and simply. And uh, it's an amazing story because we know the story where his mom hid him in the house for three months, and then she's like, I can't hide this child anymore. So it's a God thing that it happened. Because the birth mother selected by the king's daughter to nurse the child. So she got paid to raise her own children. So she took Moses down to the river. As I said earlier, you guys know this story. She built a little boat, put him in the reeds, and Moses is on the river. And Pharaoh's daughter comes down, sees this baby, and says, I want that baby for my own. And uh, Moses' sister is sitting back, back watching. She says, I can find you a maid. So she gets paid to raise her own child. But at some point, she lets her son go, and the Egyptians are now raising Moses. So, as I mentioned, we know that story, but I'd like us to think about it. And then Moses has grown to be a man, 
and uh, he defended one of the Hebrews who got in a fight with an Egyptian. He killed the Egyptian. He took it into his own hands, what he didn't think was fair. A little later, there were two Hebrew men fighting, and Moses tried to break it up, and one of them mentioned, they said, uh, are you going to kill one of us like you did the Egyptian? And the secret Moses thought was safe was now exposed. And no, Moses knew he could no longer stay there, so he left Pharaoh and the life that he had, and went to the place of Midian to escape his past. And I bring that up because it intrigues me that Moses, in a sense, had a fairly cushy life. Yet he killed that Egyptian because his people were being tortured. Moses went to Midian, and he gets to Midian in, all, in uh, chapter 2, verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they were filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. I found that so intriguing, because here we have Moses who is running from Egypt, running from Pharaoh, fearing for his life, and he comes to Midian, he sits by this well, and along comes the priest of Midian's daughters. He had seven daughters, and they obviously was fairly common, because a little later on, uh, their dad asked him, how are you back so early? And they said, well, this, this stranger was at the well, and he, uh, he chased the shepherds off instead of the shepherds chasing us off. And he actually drew water and watered our livestock for us. And he says, well, who is this dude? Bring him home so we can at least feed him. And uh, that eventually became his son-in-law. He married one of, one of his daughters. But it intrigued me that even amongst that, Moses still kind of had this sense for right and wrong. You know, these, these ladies brought their flock or their dad's flock in to be watered. The shepherds said, yeah, we can drive them off and we go first. And he said, no, you're not. So that's kind of Moses. He uh, goes back into and he ends up spending what I understand about 40 years there shepherding his father-in-law's sheep in the desert. Now, if you think about this just a tad bit, is he went from being, in a sense, part of the elite Pharaoh's household, because Pharaoh's daughter took him, I mean, his birth mom raised him, but he still had a lot of rights into Pharaoh's daughter's comfy life, if I can say it that way. Then out of his choices, and he flees, now he's stuck in the desert, you might say, taking care of sheep. I'm not sure that's really the life he dreamed of, or he thought would come his way. Anyway, what, all that is just to make you think about, in a, in a small way, uh, the story of Moses. And I'd like to jump in to uh, verse 23 and verse 2. And I'm going to read the first 10 verses of 3. So chapter 2, 23 through 3, 10. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. The children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and came toward the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. 
So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the depression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. So I have came down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Persites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And I'm going to stop there for a little bit, and we're going to take a look at these verses before we go any farther into the life of Moses. So first of all, in chapter 2 there, we have that God heard the cry of his people. They had been oppressed for many years, and uh, he heard their cry for help. So he comes to Moses, and I can imagine that Moses was out having an ordinary day. He was just out herding sheep. He had moved him to the back of the desert, and he was going about his business, if I can say it that way. And uh, he comes upon this burning bush that does not be, or is not consumed with this fire. I imagine that these bushes in the desert were not really monster trees, did not burn for hours or days. They were little bushes that would burn and they would be gone. They'd be, they would be extinguished because the bush would burn up. This bush did not burn up, burn up. And this is where the story gets interesting, if I can say it this way. And uh, I know we know this story, but I'd like to make a couple points here. His ordinary day became extraordinary because he went to find out what this bush was. And this is where he met God. This is where he had a God moment. When he chose to go over, he says, I will turn aside and see this great sight in verse 3, which the bush does not burn. So I've got a question for you. This was his God moment. This was the time in his life where he went and he met with God. What's the burning bush in your life? Do we miss the burning bushes in our life because we're too busy, preoccupied by our own ambitions and our own desires? I ask myself that question. Because when I was studying this, and I'll be honest with you, I started thinking about this, or this came to me several weeks ago, and probably even back when I was preaching on the two kingdom concept, and it was like, why do we struggle with that so badly? And what I'd like to get into today, if, if I get that far, is even the excuses of Moses. But anyway, that's down the road. But as I studied this, I could not help but think, how many burning bushes have I missed? Because I didn't take the time to turn aside and find out where my God moment was. You see, I had my day planned out, and it was full, and it was busy. 
And did I miss a God moment in my life? And I ask you that same question. Because it says in verse 4, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from amidst the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And I find it so intriguing. And I'm going to ask, like I said earlier, I'm going to ask you again. Where's your God moment in your day? See, our days are just ordinary days. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the purpose of the kingdom of God. Moses wasn't this great. Yeah, he had kind of this interesting past. I'll give him that. You know, he was kind of, he was a Hebrew, but he was raised by the Egyptians, so he probably had a little clout there. And he had this kind of interesting story. That is true. But his ordinary day of sheep herding, and let me tell you, they can be very ordinary, often very smelly, and, and not a whole lot of fun. But his day of trying to persuade the sheep to go in a certain direction turned extraordinary because he met God. Because he took the time to meet God. I do believe there's a part of Moses that probably after 40 years he was a little more broken. He probably wasn't the same Moses that decided, you know what, there's a, an Egyptian fighting with a Hebrew. I'll kill the Egyptian. I'll, I'll, I'll show them who's Trump. I'll take it in my hands. You can't do that to my people. So he's probably broken, if I can say it that way, after spending that many years in the desert and on the run. But he was just ordinary. See, God works by stepping into the ordinary when he does because it becomes extraordinary or extraordinary because of God. When we meet God, it should change our life. And why I bring this up and dwell on this is because I think sometimes we just live. I live. I'll be honest, that's the way I am. I live an ordinary life. Let me alone. I don't really like all kinds of changes in hoopla. I'll wear the same, ask my wife, I'll have a couple pair of blue jeans and a couple t-shirts and I'll wear them all the time. If they never wore out, I'd be, I'd be good. You know, they fit good. They accomplish the task. I'll eat a hamburger for lunch and I'm happy. Just ordinary. Leave it that way. But the moment we meet God and we turn aside to find our burning bush, is the moment our life doesn't become ordinary, it becomes extraordinary because of God. Not because of us, but because of God. And I'm going to encourage you, when you decide to turn over and find God, and you take that time, whether it's in the morning, in the stillness, or whatever you're doing, but you take that time to purpose to meet with God, there's no selective hearing when God speaks. None at all. If you're going to go to God and listen, don't turn the ears off partway through. He's got something for you. Anyway, that's getting down the line here a little bit. I better, better keep on track here. But anyway, he says, he says here am I. And uh, God says, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals, off your feet. For the place you stand is holy ground. Hmm. Came across this by Anthony Zaboski. Those that draw near to God will find him. Find where they fit into the plan 
of God. You see, it's up to us. It's up to us to draw near to God. And when he came over there, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this holy ground, because he came to worship. See, that holy ground that he's saying, he says, take off your sandals. So why? Why? Moses had been there through there many, many times. I believe his point was, is because of reverence for God. Because he was having a God moment. Because he had found and he was speaking with God. It says he was scared, which I think that's not really anything uncommon for most of us. If we actually heard God coming out of a bush, we'd probably be like, whoa. But it says you're on holy ground. I don't believe that the only place with holy ground is over there in the Midian Desert and that burning bush. I believe there's holy ground and we have to approach God with reverence in our life here in Kelowna, Iowa. Or wherever you are. Holy ground is where you meet with God. And he demands reverence. As Marvin shared here this morning, I really appreciated that amazing stats of, of all the light years and all that stuff. Because God put that into motion. And that should bring us to our knees and say, holy, holy, holy. It should be holy ground. Sometimes I do think in my life, I don't have enough holy ground. And it rests solely on me. Because I haven't taken the time to find my burning bush. If you are a believer here today, and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit should be guiding and leading you. The Holy Spirit should be guiding and leading us day by day, hour by hour, as we live our life for Jesus Christ. We should not have a problem finding burning bushes and holy ground in our life. That's the way I see it. I don't think this was here for an amazing story. I don't think this here was just part of history. I think it's here because God had a purpose for us today some thousand, few thousand years later. Because of holy ground and he had a plan for Moses. And the greatest thing is he has a plan for you. And we're going to get to that in verse 10. He says, Now come therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So I got a question for you. What would you do if God asked you to do that? So these people are slaves in a foreign country. And God says, now you who are running from this country because you're in trouble with this country because you killed one of their people. I want you to go back and take my people out of Egypt. That's what God asked him to do. And as I just mentioned, I fully believe, and I know with all my heart, that every single person here, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. It may not be go lead people out of Egypt. It may not be something even what we would say that dramatic. But if we are not faithful in the little things of life, we won't be faithful in the big things of life either. I'm just so amazed. But anyway, God comes and he says at this burning bush, he says, you know what? I, I want you to go back and I want you to, live, to bring my people out. And I had to think about this a little bit. 
Once again, when I was looking at where I was, this is about where I thought I was going to start, and I backed up, so I guess you're getting a prelude, if nothing else. But anyway, I had to think about this. So God calls him. And we know what Moses does. He starts giving him excuses. But I want us to think a little bit before I get into the excuse part of this story. And I want us to think about the fact that Moses gives him excuses when really, in all truthfulness, because I've thought often about this, is Moses was saved by grace, right? Physically. Like he was supposed to die. That was the king's orders. That was what was supposed to happen to all the baby boys in, in, of the Israelites. They were supposed to die. So his mom puts him in this little ark or this little boat, floats him down the river, and he sits in the reeds because she was trying to save his life. The princess came come down, and she says, hey, I want him for my own. Now, what if that princess would have said, you know what? That dude's supposed to be dead. Tip that boat over. What happened to Moses? Without a miracle, he would have drowned. So the way I see it, it's a parallel of salvation. Because Moses was born into a time when he was supposed to physically die. But he was saved. He was saved because God provided a way because he had a plan for his life. I'm here to tell you today that I would think maybe Moses had been that, told that story many, many times. He was only several months old. But Moses knew his history. So he knew he was saved for a purpose. And yet when God come down and said, I got a plan for you, and here's the plan, he goes, hold on here. And he gets into all the kind of excuses. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But my, my thing for today is I want us to think about the fact that he was saved, if I can say this, he was saved by grace physically. So I want us to compare it to our life today. Because I can talk about Moses all day long. And it's a neat history story. But if we don't take it into our hearts today and where we're at today, then it's just a story. But I believe the physical being that Moses was supposed to die, and he did not die, is a parallel with our spiritual condition today. It's called salvation. You see, Jesus Christ came down here and walked among men and became the perfect sacrifice for you and I. We were saved by grace. Because he died on the cross for you and for me. He didn't deserve to die. We deserve to die. We were like Moses in a sense, if I can use it spiritually. Because we have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's very, very, very plain in Scripture. But God sent his son, John 3, 16, for he loved the world. He sent his son to die for you and I. So, because of salvation... Because the fact that Jesus Christ died for you and I is the reason that I can be alive today spiritually with God. Because of that gift to me, the salvation process. Because I deserve to die, but because Christ died for me, I can live forever. And I can live for Him. We've all come short of the glory of God. Because of what Christ did on Calvary... And our acceptance of salvation is the reason we can live spiritually. Because of that princess deciding that Moses was going to become hers, he got to live 
physically. I'm kind of comparing the two here if you understand what I'm trying to say. So physically and spiritually speaking, I think we have a lot in common. I just look at this and thought, well, now, Moses, why would you not have been willing to do what God asked you to do? Because you were saved when you should be dead. I'm going to be honest with you. Unfortunately, I have the same response of Moses many times in my life on a spiritual sense. God says, here's my plan. This is what I'm asking of you. This is what I want you to do. And I forget that the only reason I'm here spiritually doing what I'm doing, living a life that is hopefully living for Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit living in me, is because of Jesus Christ. Because I should be dead in spiritual sense because I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So the moment I want to get hard on Moses and say, Moses, did you forget what happened to you 40 years ago or 60 years ago in that river? I have to look at my own life and ask myself the same question. He was saved physically. So you think, well, he should be happy to do God's work. Work. We are saved spiritually speaking. Are we happy to do God's work? It may not be what we would call as big. If I can use big and little as terms, you know, God may be asking us to do a monstrous thing, but I guarantee you he's asking you to do something if you take the time. We were all saved by grace. I encourage us to think about that a little bit. Because when I want to get hard on Moses, I have to look at my own self in the mirror. Because only because of Jesus' grace am I anything anywhere today. Because of God. Time has um, beaten me to the excuses. So I'm going to just close down today. And uh, Lord willing, maybe next time we'll continue on with the story of Moses. If he doesn't lead in a different direction. But I'm going to ask you that question one more time. A couple questions here. Do you have a burning bush in your life to meet God and holy ground to meet him on? And when he gives you his plan, are we grateful for the salvation he gave us? May God bless you.